Hi, I'm Jim. And I'm David. And this is the Practical Guitarist Podcast. The podcast for people who eat, sleep, and breathe guitar. The Practical Guitarist Podcast is brought to you by Great Lakes Guitar Pickups. Great Lakes Guitar Pickups provides fantasy tones at prices of practical guitars to the world. Featuring top-notch construction, attention to detail, and a fully custom product, if you can dream it, Great Lakes Guitar Pickups can probably build it. Follow them on Facebook at facebook.com slash Pickups. Are you a regular listener? Why not? David here reminding you of all the ways you can participate in the Practical Guitars Podcast. Subscribe using your chosen podcast app. Review us on iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, or Google Play. Find our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash practical guitars or on Twitter as at practguitarist. Support the show. Merchandise is available in our Threadless store at practicalguitarspodcast.threadless.com and donate to us via Patreon available at patreon.com slash practicalguitarist. Reach out to us directly via email at questions at practicalguitarist.com. Hello, Jim. Hello, David. Uh, welcome back. Well, thank you. <laughs> uh, people have responded really well to our co-host last week. Yeah, that's great. I, I have to say, um, I have had several people reach out to me and tell me what a great episode it was. Yeah. And it was off the cuff. And it was hell, it was hell on earth to try and get it done. Because we did, I we did literally did the episode like six times. <laughs> uh, so what happened? So mics were cutting out. Um, I had a couple of bad cables that ended up, they got tossed in the garbage as part of the episode. And then, um, the first night we did it, Cubase wasn't tracking both channels and my daughter jumped on the mic while we were doing it. And that's when we decided we were going to have her on the next night. So we went to go re-record and then we had like a couple false starts. One of them, we got like 25 minutes in. So yeah, before it was all said and done, it was about we we did the uh, we did about six hours worth of work to get to get a one hour episode. It was pretty wow. ridiculous. Wow! But everybody had good fun doing it. So, and uh, actually, the last take was probably the second best take of the whole the whole lot. The first take was you know because it's spontaneous and it's always good. Right, right. But uh, yeah, no, um, that was fun. Like I really enjoyed doing that. Maybe we'll do it again sometime. But um, yeah. I'm I'm glad that you liked it as well. Yeah, yeah, I thought it was really good. So, um, happy to have been able to free up some time for you. I know, um, I know it's we don't do vacations, so not from the show. So no, and it's been this is the first time uh, that uh, that kind of thing happened. I'm thinking about taking tomorrow off from work just to freaking take a vacation. Vacation. So, yeah. for those who may be interested, I traveled to uh, upstate New York. And when I say upstate New York, I'm not talking about like the New York City person talks about it. When they say upstate New York, they mean Poughkeepsie. And I was, I was up in Ticonderoga, um, where there's still a lot of places don't have cable, much less high speed internet. And uh, so, it, my network was spotty. And uh, matter of fact, there's a lot of uh, a lot of my travel that had zero internet and, and of any kind. No cell service, no nothing. It's definitely the boonies up there still. So. Well, it kills me now. It's like when you travel. It used to be that the hotels would provide free Wi-Fi. It was always garbage Wi-Fi, but at least it was free. 
like all the hotels I stayed in the last couple of years, then we should pay extra. I know, right? Like, this is nuts. And I didn't have, um, I didn't stay in hotels. I stayed at my mother's, my father-in-law's, my, um, you know, uh, yeah. my wife's house. It was, it was. Um, those people you rely on, you know. Right. Those people that are family, you know, because I was visiting my children. Um, yeah. Lots of, lots of fun. Did you get to play the guitar? No, I took no. one. Yeah. I took a I took a practice amp and I took a guitar. Um, but the truth is that uh, we were, you know, I was visiting family and everything, which sucks because my fingers I can feel it. Oh yeah, I, I'm I sure. Literally feel the lack of, um, you know, that that muscle in your fingers that starts to. Yeah, um, I mean, I definitely feel it too. Like if I don't, even for the day, you know. Yeah, so then the day before I was coming back, I get a phone call from one of my co coworkers, and uh, as I told you beforehand, my team leader's um, wife had a brand aneurysm. They were on vacation in Alaska. They were up in Anchorage um, on a cruise, and uh, I'm not sure about all the details, but all I know is that uh, she's in the hospital. Luckily, um, a, prime, a prime surgeon was up there. It just happened to be iterate anchorage for i don't know what reason the, yeah the condition you told me that's i've had people in my family actually pass from that so. yeah so she's able to move some fingers and do little things but she they're they're very family oriented people they're very um uh, and all the family is down here so uh i'm covering the phone that works so that he doesn't have anything to worry about missing here but uh it's um yeah sounds like yeah. And she she's the kind of person everybody likes her because she's they they invite us to everything they do everything and they like to do right, games right. And, and cookouts and so prayers are with her right now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, let's see. What did I do this weekend? I went out to Dan Kish's house. I do have to tell you about some musical endeavors that I had. Oh, okay. So, um, uh, obviously, I went to a Fourth of July celebration and. As most Fourth of July celebrations, they had a live band, and I don't want to name the band, but um, so the the sound was awful. Um, you could only hear the guitars who stood in front, and this place was a three sixty. So they, they were super directional, yeah. Right. So they should have had now. Now there was no excuse for it because they were using helixes. So instead, yeah, so it's all PA problems at that point. Yep. Instead of pointing like, all right, let's offset some PA. You're going to need at least, you know, three, if not four PA speakers in various directions. Nope. Just pointed it towards the street. Um, The guy, uh, his ego could not be surmounted by anything. So um, they, he kept mentioning that his latest CD um, had something to do with Luke Bryan's recording team. And every time he turned around, he mentioned Luke Bryan. And I wanted to yell, did you mention Luke Bryan? So um, after he said it like 14 times during this thing. Yeah, um, I think we've all seen somebody like that before. Yeah, he was very dime dropping. Um, and I'd known about him in the past. His, his tellies had been worked on by the same guy that did... Uh, uh, he put the B benders in Brad Paisley's house, okay. <clears throat> and he's always bragging about that. Um, that was on the side. So, but anyway, I wanted to talk to the Helix. So the the Helix, 
it, it felt lifeless in the PA. It felt like um, there was no real uh, like reaction. Um, and it didn't, I mean, it was very compressed and hard, uh, like, like you were listening to a, a record of a guitar being played, not a guitar being played. It didn't have the punch. Um, and so it, it lacked that, you know, live feel. It really did. I don't, so I don't, I wouldn't fault the Helix for that, first off. I would say. Probably their settings. Well, it's settings, it's how good is the PA. Right. Um, You're obviously talking about, you know, a 360 venue, like, with crap PA, like, pointed at the street, where there's nothing covering the sides or behind. Um, And it just sounds to me like it's probably underpowered, number one. Number two is probably crap settings. It's probably the same stuff he was using in the studio and didn't bother to tweak them for, for live. Cause I, yep. cause I've seen, um, I've seen locally some people playing with the helix lately and it's, I mean, none of them have been like spectacular sounding, yep. but like, you know, like, like going to see, you know, a Paul Gilbert or something like that. Um, but I, but none of them have been awful either. It was like, yeah, you can, you know, it's a helix kind of deal, and it's not a big deal because you know what they're doing or whatever. But it's just like, well, it's you know, it's an emulation. That's fine. Right. Um, it, it would be no different than if you were to take an amplifier, plug it into a Palmer DI, and run it off the board. Just, just kind of a flat sounding thing, you know. Um. So yeah, and and I think that's that's the hazard of doing any of that silent stage stuff. I that's part of the reason why I dumped the Helix is because no built-in power amp and I would want to drive a cabinet with it and ignore cabinet emulation for, for being on stage because I know that that's part of part of the sound of guitars like having a wash of sound on stage somewhere um now does that mean that you know I'm going to make every sound guy happy does that mean that I can get certain gigs hell no I mean that's that that's the complete opposite but that's my preference um so but yeah, I mean, I'm still slinging amps, dude. Like I've got, uh, so I got the Kemper, but I bought the amp version, and I bought, you know, you know, I have a Mark Five Twenty Five, and I'm completely happy slinging amps. Like I don't really see a reason to go silent stage until I get a situation where somebody says, "Hey, you got to go silent," and then I'll just take the Kemper and say, "Here's my direct outs, enjoy." Yeah. Um, but uh, I'm so I haven't done a whole lot of direct with the Kemper yet. I mean. I've got spit of cables. I've run it into my interface. It does sound really good through these JBL monitors I bought, but um, I mean, it's not. I it, it's not a real amp. I mean, even through monitors, it sounds like a recorded amp. You know, um, it does sound a lot less recorded than the Helix in the sense that it's not as compressed. Like it's not as it, it's not compression. Okay, I I want to I want to back away from that. Yeah, I, it's like this tonal focus thing that happens with the helix because it doesn't get as complicated and complex as your guitar breaks up through a tube amp. And so because of that, like I can pick it out of a lineup now. I, I, and, and that's, what's really kind of funny about it. It's like, Oh, I, when I had one, I was like, Oh, I couldn't tell the difference. But now having moved to, you know, the Kemper and just the Mark five, like I could definitely tell the difference. It's, I mean, it's really obvious, actually. Um, but it has to do with the fact that I've compared them now and that I can I can pluck it out of the air 
I know people are like, oh, well, you know, so-and-so can't tell the difference. No, the audience can't tell the difference for sure, but I can. And and I'm the one I'm trying to impress. Because let's face it, nobody cares about my music anyway, so right. um, I might as well have fun doing it. Um, so I'm happy I made the switch. I So I went to Kish's house this weekend. I took the, I took the Kemper. And the Kemper performed pretty well in that situation. It was quiet. It was quiet enough that we could, you know, have a conversation while we were playing, and um, it was. It sounded pretty good. Some of the some of the uh, profiles sounded better than others, um, and I think a lot of that had to do with tweaking. And then the next day, I went to Good Time, and we put it on a two two by twelve vertical recto cab, and we cranked it up a little bit, and we got it going, and we were running Mar- uh, Marshall patches and stuff. And it sounded great. Um, and part of that was because we were sitting there going through it, and I think we were both impressed, uh, Jeff and I. We were both impressed with it, but then I was like, something's wrong here. Something's not adding up. So I started tweaking the settings, and I went into system settings, and I found that I had actually put the pad on for the input, turned the pad off, and then it just came alive. And it was yeah. way better than I had anticipated. And I just knocked my socks off at that point. Um is it, and I told with Jeff and I kind of had this discussion yesterday. It's like, is it as good as a tube amp? No, I mean, it, it is. I, it is and it isn't. Like, I think you're still crippled by a couple of things. Number one, you're, you're stuck with not being, a, if you push the cab loud, it's going to sound good, right? That's your, your cab volume largely determines, if you're using like a guitar cabinet, largely determines what sounds you're going to get out of the camper. Um, for the sounds I go for, I'm going to need to push my cabs just as hard as I would a tube amp. However, what the Kemper gives me is the flexibility to be able to turn down and at least enjoy it. Right. Um, so it's, it's nice. I've been profiling my amps, um, which you've been gone while this is going on. So I probably should cover all that too. Oh, it's crazy. The profiling process is loud. It is obnoxious. Um, it's fun. <laughs> I love it. Um, it requires a lot of gear. Like you have to have extra cables and microphones. And if you're going to use multiple microphones, you have to have a mixer and, you know, the additional cables needed to do that. Um, and then you got to kind of get into the process of how it works and you almost have to like ruin a couple. And then all of a sudden it all clicks and you're like, Oh, I know what this does now. And like, I, then I can start, I'm, I can start actually making good profiles. And we were putting my profiles up against some of the professional ones and they're not bad. Like they're decent. Um, right. you know, you could definitely take your rig, put a microphone in front of it, tweak the tweak the EQ and the Kempers that's going in, and get a reasonable sound. Um, the the challenge, of course, is being able to monitor it while you're doing it. So you got to use headphones. Like that was my big thing. Um, and I don't really have these are um closed back headphones. I really wouldn't want to be mixing with these, but it was enough that I could get an accurate representation of what it was going to sound like on the other end. So. Right. Uh, but I made part patches of the Mark V. Uh, if anybody's interested in them, uh, profiles, by the way. If anybody's interested in them, I'll uh, I'll put them up in the group, or I'll uh, put them in the rig exchange. So I don't I I don't plan on selling these. Um, they're not good enough for that. But um, I I'm actually considering doing some profiles and selling them. You know, we know enough people, um, Robert Jackson and others, that we could conceivably like put together some pretty interesting profiles and stuff like i could do is panamas and stuff like that and we could sell them and raise proceeds for you know charity or something 
Yeah, that'd be a good so, idea. I, I was kind of thinking about it. Um, but yeah, no, it's a, it's a cool thing to do. Like it's it's a hobby thing. If you really if you're really into amplifiers, I think the Kemper is probably the best choice for that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, I found that the effects, like I said in the original, like when I got back from Gearfest, the effects in there are fine. Um, the dry pedals suck, but look, you can get past that. The reverbs delays are excellent. Um, today I actually just reset the uh, factory profiles and got a whole bunch of new reverbs um, available to me, which I didn't realize that I didn't have. Um, oh, nice. And so really, from my understanding, it's like the the um, the Kemper has like five reverbs in it, right? But they're really, really flexible reverbs, and they all sort of do different things. Five or six reverbs. And so, and then there's like a legacy reverb, which covers all the bases of the previous reverb models. So if you have like old old uh, profiles that were using the original reverbs, when you load those profiles now, it'll use what they call legacy verb, which allows you to access all those old sounds, which is kind of cool. They, they right. left those in place so that you didn't like it didn't break when you would uh, right. when move you, forward. Right when you move forward, you didn't lose what you liked. Well, Christoph Kemper, I was reading an interview with Christoph, or I'm not reading. I was watching an interview with Christoph Kemper today, and that was one of the things he brought up. Was like, look, even if we were to replace the hardware. Uh, everything that we do now would be backwards compatible in the new hardware. And he okay. said, he said, I've been, you know, he, he runs the virus synthesizer company and he's like, we have backwards compatibility going back to 1997 wow. product, product version one. Um, and it's a hardware product too. So he knows like about emulation and all that. And the fact that, you know, they, they would have to build that into the product going forward. And I think that's part of the reason why we haven't seen a, uh, a Kemper two is that they haven't outlived the hardware. Um, that's that's crazy right it's yeah good. well it just says so he's been in the game since 1997 he knows how to, to squeeze every last ounce out of what he's got and he's done a very good job of it because they they've been running that virus synthesizer product since 97 and they've only had four hardware revisions so what's that a hardware revision every like seven years eight years and there's no sign of a new camper showing up I mean, they're they're still supporting this guy. There's going to be an editor coming out, uh, the Kemper cab, and and speakers, um, and there I'm I've heard rumblings that there's a that there's a, a version seven firmware on the loose somewhere that they're that they're working on it. Okay. So you know, it's it's good that uh, what these companies should do is not announce uh, upcoming software because you can see like constantly in any of these things it's like okay it's spring where's our where's our it's yeah. the first day of spring pal you know or okay where's our stuff i'm okay if they if they mention hey we're working on new features and kind of give like a, a sneak peek of what those features are don't attach a date to it don't right. attach a timeline to it just be like it'll, they, they'll be out when they're when they're finalized yeah yeah the problem with people is once you give them an expectation <sighs> yeah they, they, well, but the problem the problem is it's like line six, right? Because that's what we're yeah. talking about. Line yeah. six has been two point eight is coming. Um since what? Winter Nam, I think. Um and and they said spring, right? So we're obviously yeah. into we're we're into July now. Yeah. So we're past um, the the fans, the the Helix people are like, Where are my updates? And they're starting yeah. to get frustrated. Yeah. Um first off, crybabies, number one. And I'm not saying that because I don't agree with them. Look, look, 
Line 6 should have announced a, a date um, and at least delivered some features at that time. And if they had to do a 2.7.9 update and a 2.8 update, then they could have done that. But right. but um, my, my gripe is that they're, you know, oh, well, we don't have updates. Look what Fractal does to their, their people. Like, they announced the FM3 back in, what, March, April? Yeah. Yeah. And there hasn't been a word about when that thing's going to show up. People are on the list to get them, right? Some people have prepaid because they were, I think they prepaid because they were on the list for the AX8. And the AX8 got canceled because they were bringing the FM3 out. So these people have been waiting for like four months now. Some of those yeah. people, the AX8 people, might have been waiting seven months or eight months. Yep. Think about that for a minute. And you're complaining about a software update you get for free? Yeah, exactly. I mean, you get it when you get it, you know? Yep. Um, I don't complain about like the, the, there's some Kemper updates that are, you know are are allegedly like the editor. I see a post every day in the KPA forum. Um, somebody going, "Where's my Where's my editor? I thought the editor was supposed to be out because he showed it at Dam. Oh yeah, they're going. I think he showed it at Winter Dam. Um, yeah, they did. They showed it at Winter Dam. So they haven't released that edit, that that uh, new editor. Yeah, yeah, it's in it's in beta. I mean, you can get it. It's I mean, but. I don't want to run beta firmware because I will nope. say this, the Kemper beta firmware is truly beta. Like yeah. you, you yeah, install you... their reverbs and like you couldn't turn them off and like, yeah. Um, which, which is fine. Like, okay. And, and, and that's, you know, that's for the hardcore group of users that really want to see those features and like try them out and you can yeah. always roll back to the older firmware. Right. So I get it. Like that's what that's for. Um, my problem with line six and the way they've handled things is, that's a big company. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I know yeah. it's not technically a big company, but for our industry, that's a big company, right? They get a lot of money behind them. They yep. have more employees than say like boss of America, for example, uh, yep. Roland us or, um, yeah, they're probably, they're probably on par with like Roland, but like, um, they definitely have more than, you know, somebody like Brian Wampler who yeah. meets demand and, or yeah, probably has know, 12 people in the company. I guess it's not a really, I mean, it's not a good, um, it's not a good barometer though, because he doesn't do software kind of thing. But but my point is that they got enough money behind them. This shouldn't have happened. Okay, right. and I have seen, I have seen several things go on with that company that like, I've kind of paused and I've gone, you know, you've got a lot more money than the other guys. Like, what is your deal? Well, you know, we all know that sometimes software can take take turns. Sure, sure, and. The thing that um, should have happened was that on your end. <laughs> yeah, there's people um, banging on the window for my daughter. Oh, um, so what they should have done is said, "All right, look, we're having issues with X. Uh, we're delivering this as a full package or whatever. So we're going to need until the end of summer. We're we're probably going to have to push this instead of being. They, they're just quiet. They're like, quit your bitching. It'll come when it comes. Well, then don't make an announcement." Don't give people an expectation because that's when your, your fans, your user base, uh, these are, I mean, some of these um, improvements are really, really important to people who, who have various platforms, like being able to share a Helix um, uh, patch with a person that does the, um, the stomp or yeah. the chicken effects. Well, yes. And, Part I'm still the, thinking about getting a stomp as a as like a you know a, what do you call it? Like a, yeah, um, like a open mic thing. Open mic. 
Yeah, so a couple of things on that. Um, there have been some features that were kind of like quietly told to certain people and now have been kind of swept under the rug too. Um, I heard tell that 2.8 was going to include support for a two additional blocks in the HX stomp. Yep. That's not happening. Nope. I have not seen it anywhere in the actual physical documentation, like on their website, not, not physical, but their digital documentation on their website. Yeah. And I think that was one of those things that's like, yeah, but if we do that, so they probably could do it. I, I, I would, I would bet they can, but if they were to do it, what would end up happening is that all the people that bought one are going to say, why didn't you just roll it out like this to begin with? Well, I, I think the other side of that is that probably they were looking at putting two more in because some of the effects use more processing power than others. So they were like, okay, well, we can stick two more in. But you're going to have a max eight on your processor. So I, I heard it was a user interface issue. Was it? Well, there you go. Which <laughs> makes it even worse because then it's like, well, then you basically released a product that was half baked. Is essentially what you're saying. Yeah. Um, and that kind of makes me wonder if they knew the FM3 was coming, and they were like, okay, we need to get this out there now. Yeah. Because we need to we need to have a toehold in the marketplace before they do. And I don't know why that I don't know what would have driven that, but it was really funny that the HX effects and the HX stomp came out that close together. They were within a year. Yeah. And I remember thinking when the HX stomp was announced, like, yeah, wishful thinking, they, they brought up the effects for the inexpensive crowd that already had amplifiers. And I was kind of the, the first time I saw it, I was kind of like taking it back. It's like, no, they actually did it. And, but then I read like, Oh, six blocks or whatever it is. And I, I, Honestly, like that's not enough processing power for me, um, for one amp model really. Like I, no, I when you when you think about it, you're gonna that it is literally what I'm thinking about getting for, and that is to go to an open mic, you can throw it down, you've got a couple of a couple of effects. It's a Swiss arm it's a Swiss Army knife thing. Like you can put it on your board and you can do effects with it, or right. if you have to go direct, you could set it up to be an amp simulator. Or yep. if you, you know, wanted to drive like a clean tube amp or, you know, through through the FX return or something like that, like it gives you a bunch of different options. It's definitely a pedal. Like if I had a board, I probably would have been like, how am I going to make this work? Because I because I would I would have been more interested in it. But um, I just like if, if for the amount of money it is right. So it's like six. I think it's six hundred. Um, yeah, it's five ninety nine. Five ninety nine. Yeah. Um, I would be hard pressed to do that versus a used LT, and and they've got so many products at so many different price points. They're actually competing with, them, with themselves on the used market now, which is kind of strange when you think about it. Yeah, well, yeah, the used LT would put you um, at probably like eight hundred bucks, seven hundred bucks. Yeah, seven hundred, eight hundred. Yeah, I mean, you're um, you're you're easily within the price point to be able to go. You know what? I'll just get like you said, just get a used LT. Screw it. Right, because then you get two, you get you get full functionality except for loops. Exactly. You yeah. get more loops than you're going to get in the in the stop. I mean, yeah, it, it, it's a win-win. Even if you buy even if you buy the uh, the new one, I mean, it's only five hundred more. Um, which that's a lot of money for most folks, but I could see somebody who's looking at these products really hard, and if you're going to save up five ninety nine to get a stop, like another four hundred bucks to get the big guy isn't that big a stretch that's right it's not 
Um, and I say 400 because, you know, we know we can get discounts and deals and, you know, you yep. get the, you get the uh, 10% back gift card from uh, Sweetwater and yep. make it work. Um, That's right. So you take a piece of crap to Guitar Center and you trade it in for it. Yeah. You get your taxes off. And, and you get your 10%. Yep. Yeah. In my, in that, my neighborhood's <laughs> taxes off. That's basically all they give you. Yeah. It's, it it's is 10%, but it's like, that. it's basically just covers the tax. Like it's, it's a little is. bit better than that here. Yeah. A little bit. Yeah, we were talking. Well, we were talking about. They're like, well, it's it, but but you only pay taxes on the value minus the ten percent, and right. I'm like, I, yes, but that's still going to be around ten percent tax. <laughs> like it's going to be like a percent less. Yeah. So really, you're giving me a one percent discount. Yeah. <laughs> and well, I, yeah. Yeah, I can see. Like I said, I can see. Here's the thing: if I'm going to go to an open mic, I guess it's it's at that point it's a it's a personal decision of whether or not you want to um you go to the open mic you want to have something really small like the like the stomp or are you okay with having something bigger like uh, the um like the lt i would probably Next. go with the fly rig yeah and so what did you you got to play with the fly rig in person the new one yeah and i haven't played with the new one so i think uh, it's, tell I think me anything has to try the paul landers one or was that what, which I tried was? a lot of crap at Gearfest. Yeah. The, well, Paul, you, the Paul Landers is another So you got to sit with Nick Bongers and play his. I yeah, briefly. I didn't. I didn't play through his whole lot, but I didn't need to. Like I kind of know what it's about, you know. Um, and I got to see him at Gearfest and actually played him on the floor there. Yeah. Um, the Fly Rig Two, which is what he has, is is fine for probably eighty percent of people um yep. it's not so neither of none of those three devices are as good as hey here's an amplifier in a cabinet or here's a you know here's a really high quality modeling device and i would say you know like for i hate to say even fractal or or uh, kemper style modeling device um but it's definitely for like 300 bucks i mean for an open mic thing throwing your gig bag like it's perfect it's it's way better than the stomp for that um, and, and I say that because it's, there's less to go wrong. Number one, um, you're not relying on direct out. Okay. Um, right. But you have that as an option and yeah. it sounds good. And there's not, it's kind of idiot proof. There's like nothing on it to really mess it up. Well, idiot um, proof is me. So I, I'm, cause when you go, like, like we've all been to open right? Like you throw your stuff on the floor. You got about a minute and a half tune up and make sure everything's working properly and then you're ready to go. And if you don't, if you're not done there, people start looking at you funny, um, which is, you know, take your time. I do it. I don't care. Like, but I know some people get really, you know, weird about that. Um, I would be, I, you know, here I am uh, totally comfortable just throwing my Kemper in a, in a uh, road case and go into an open mic and just like throwing it on the floor and be like, all right, here we go. Um, yep. you know, and there's going to be a couple cables I have to run for that and everything, but it'll, but it'll work and it'll sound good. So I'm not complaining. Right. Um, right. so I don't know. I, for me, like, I think the fly rig makes a lot more sense because it's cheaper. Number one, yep. it's a yep. good, rig. if you don't have any sort of backup for your gear and you're playing out, it's an adequate backup. I mean, it's, I, I don't, so I heard people recording with it online. I do not think it's recording quality capable. I really don't. Um, but I think, you know, if you're playing a gig and you just want to throw it on the floor and like you, your gig is more about presentation and 
I honestly don't think the crowd really cares about sound quality as much as people think it does. They do. Um, no. I think it'll be it's more than adequate, frankly, for the money. Um, the things are roadworthy. They're solid. You can throw them in a gig bag. Um, it was so small. I saw. I saw. Yeah, when you first see it, hand. you're like, "That's way smaller than I thought it was." No, it's yeah. Tiny. I thought I thought it would be about like the size. Each section of is keyboard. the size of a shoe. Yeah, it's only like this big. Yeah, it's the whole thing, but like a foot foot wide. Yeah, and four. like two or three inches in tall. Yep, that's it. No depth X to it. XLR output tuner. How was the tuner? Was it was it relatively accurate? It, it seemed like it was. It? it seemed like it was okay. Uh, you know, tuner's a tuner for that for that kind of price, like on a in a built-in effect. Um, it was higher quality than I anticipated it was going to be. Mm -hmm. I I mean, it's I would say it's probably as accurate as TU two. Um, I'm a big fan of the TU three, and actually, Jim, I don't know that I've, I've brought this up, but I have this guy now. Ooh, Wazacraft! I have the Wazacraft TU three now. You um, son of a bitch! I bought it at Gearfest, so yeah. Um, but. I bought it because it's true bypass switchable. So I can use it with my fuss. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah that's right. So, um, yeah, you're germanium. Yeah, yeah. So that's why I picked it up because I'm like, oh, well, for an extra 30 bucks, I can I can use it with that. So it's fine. I really, really like the, uh, the TU series of products anyway. Yeah, I use the TU3. Um, uh, Dan Kish has my white TU3. Uh, no, I sold nice. it to him. So he's doing a, and he's actually setting up the red unicorn, I believe, as we speak. Um, so that's a, and a whole other ball of wax. Is he set, are you chop tuning it, set it up for like? Uh, no, 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 words, no. He's just like getting it playable because uh, I took it out of the case and I was going to do some track. Actually, I was going to do some tracks for work. Um, and I set it up like just like 10 seconds before I pressed go on the recording and it was buzzing all over the place and it was a mess. So mm -hmm. I'm like, I, the humidity must have just been hell on it this winter. I'm like, I gotta, I'll have to take it and get it set up or or something. Um, and it turns out, like there were two high frets. Um, the nut has, I'm I'm assuming has come unglued um, in the center, which which the and the nut slot was really unclean anyway. And it, that's just right, right. you know, Shengze, right? Um, a good yeah. time had done a setup, and I, they'd actually replaced the nut on it. But I, I can't imagine that it you know didn't need to be cleaned out more because it, it the thing was a disaster like i saw that nut and i couldn't stop laughing every time i looked at it it was it was laughable it was really bad um yeah. one of the one of the worst quality things i've ever seen so um on that note uh i got to go to kish's and um he's a value gear nut so he's got like some cool stuff that's that's really inexpensive and um yeah he's, he's got a pair of harley benson's yeah, he has a pair of Harley Bentons there. Um, so I guess like the way I want to preface this is, bear in mind that everything I say here is going to be focusing on the fact that those guitars are like 190 bucks. They're they're right. not expensive. Right. right. So they're the they're the price of an Affinity Strat or an Affinity because uh, those things have gone up. They're about 180 dollars. Oh, I thought the I thought the um the Affinities were like like two. 30 now and that the bullets were like 180 oh it might be i don't, I don't know i think the affinities are well they, either they, way these are the lowest to the low right like so these right, are the guitars right. you it. buy if you can't afford like anything with the name brand on it okay which is which is fine like um so 
I, I want to preface that because I'm going to say some really positive things, but I want I want to make it very clear to our listeners that I'm not saying that this is as good as a Gibson. I'm not saying that this is as good as a you know your typical run of the mill like seven hundred dollar Strat or um, your typical uh, Kiesel or any of that you know any of the like the professional what we I would consider like a professional or even top end professional um, stuff. Um, they so the guitars weren't made of plywood, number one. They were made of multi-piece bodies. Um, they had, now Dan had set them up, so they played decently. Um, the electronics felt solid. I don't know long-term what that's going to mean, whether um, whether they're going to last. And that's always, the, you know, that's always like the big gotchas. Like, I don't, you don't really know until you wear them out kind of deal. Um, he had redone the tuners on at least one of them, I think both. Um, one of them had Grovers on it. Um, and that was just because they weren't they weren't holding tune. Um, but other than that, I mean, they were functional. Like they played really well. They'd been set up, of course. Um, the hardware was actually better than what was on the Shangzai for the for the. Um, I think both guitars were stop tail bridges because one was like the Les Paul copy they do, and then the other one was the SG copy. And they both had like kind of an ABR style um, tailpiece and uh, stop power yeah. and all that. So that's a plus automatically because the one i got the shengzei has the stupid retainer spring and mm -hmm. that is that that is the dumbest thing that like if you're going to make low quality chinese garbage hardware the bridge is the easiest thing to get right i mean just yeah. to just to, to do the shape of it but the second yeah. you put one of those retainer springs on there it's just going to be a pain in the ass like it's going to be a problem yeah. because they can't do it right um it's those springs they they vibrate and if you don't if you don't like bend them so that they you know hit the um intonation screws properly and stuff like they're just they're just a nightmare to deal with and that's been the problem with my shingze um i probably am actually going to replace the bridge on that eventually um he bought yeah. one of them was a factory second so he got it on a deal and uh actually the paint flaws weren't worse than what the shingze was which was pretty impressive um considering the shingze has a lot of like fit and finish issues um Jeez. and the the other one looked pretty good like it had been finished pretty well i mean there were some areas where the where it gone over the binding and stuff but nothing you like would case in point right so these are two set neck guitars available for under 200 bucks think right. about that for a minute you're gonna have fit and finish flaws you're going yep. to you're gonna have a little bit substandard hardware you're gonna have substandard electronics the pickups they were not my favorite um i would characterize them as being overly bright um and not much guts to them like not a lot of low mids and not a lot of lows um but i would rather them have too much than too little because i can always dial out too much i yep. can't dial in what isn't there too little that's right so from that perspective like they weren't terrible you could get by with them like if somebody was just starting out with guitar or they were um you know they were going through some family situation or something and they they needed to buy a guitar and they couldn't afford much like it would be perfect because they again they can grow with you you can upgrade them and stuff but i did post a video in the group and i want to i, I want to give some context to that the rob chap chapman went to um he went to toman and he bought a harley benton and then they put yep. 700 with the mods on it yeah 700 pounds worth of mods yep now 700 pounds which is i think the pound is actually less than the dollar right now it's it might be because of brexit 
So right. um, I looked it up the other day and I think they were like roughly equivalent because I bought some, I bought some profiles from England actually. Um, mm-hmm. I bought the victory profiles, which we'll, we'll talk about that too. Um, <clears throat> so he, he, um, he has these two Harley Bentons or actually Chapman has the Harley Benton. He puts 700 pounds with it and they compare it to a Les Paul standard, not a studio. Right. Um, which is roughly the same price Gibson range thing. Once you compare it, you know, once you add the mods and all to it. So here's the funny part. I thought listening to the video, I thought the Harley Benton sounded pretty good. And then I heard the, heard the studio and it was really clear that the wood gave it a much smokier sound which to my ears was like way more what I would expect for 700 bucks, like a way more complex um, upper tonal thing was going on there. That was like, there was some different harmonics and stuff coming out. And it may just have been like, he had a bad Harley Benton that they put a bunch of money into. And then like they had a good, you know, Les Paul studio or something like that. But like, they were not roughly equivalent. Let's put it that way. And it may just been luck of the draw, but it, I put that video up because I was kind of thinking like, yeah, you can grow with a guitar, but there's, you're still limited to like the basic pieces, what it has in it that it comes with. So, um, I would say, I don't think either of those guitars were like plywood. Um, but there was a plywood guitar that, that Kish had. Well, we think it might be plywood and that thing was smoking. Uh, so he has, he has a harmony that's like probably 25 years old. And it might even be older. It might be from the seventies. This guitar has been put through the put through the wash, man. Like so, he he one point yeah. shot it with a crossbow. <laughs> so there's like a hole in it. And, On purpose? Uh, yeah, because like it was a junk guitar, and he was like, ah, okay. he was a young kid. And he was, you know, oh, it would be funny if we shot a crossbow bolt through. It. So, right. yeah. um, it's got stickers on it. And it's got mojo and like I picked it up and the neck was kind of glossy and stuff. And I was like, I'm not going to like this. And then I started playing it and I was like, whoa, like what's going on here? So he had it strung up. It had 11s on it. Um, it was a meteor guitar to play. Like you had to, you had to muscle your way through it. But man, like it had, it had ceramic pickups for sure. They were ceramic and they were pretty low output. The, the, the neck pickup was like, way lower than the bridge pickup. But I liked the, I liked what was going on there. I just wish I had a little bit more of it. Like the volume had come up a little bit. So I was, I suggested to him, I was like, man, look into a boost circuit. Right. You could get a 3 dB boost on this thing. Like yep. this guitar would be rocking. Cause it, I mean, it sounded great. The only thing was it had super small frets. And I can't, yeah, he was already talking about replacing the fret. So, and, and he's had his guitar forever. He's had it for, probably as long as he's been playing like 20 right. years or something. And it, I mean, it, I told him, I was like, I understand why you want to put money in this thing now. Cause it, cause it like, there's something about it. Um, and it, of all the guitar, cause he had some other stuff. He had, uh, he had the, um, the Raven and he had, um, he had this Jackson seven string with a extended scale, which was a cool guitar. Um, actually for, I think the guitar was like around 200 bucks and it was like really good. And, um, I was kind of enlightened, you know, to find like some, some quality instruments for, you know, not a lot of money. Um, and it's, it, a lot of it had to do with the setup. Like he's put the work into making sure these guitars are playable and they're functional. I don't think you could buy a $200 guitar and be like completely enamored with it. If you've been playing for 20 years, 
because because right. you've got three others that are great. You know what I mean? Like I I have I have a USAS five hundred right here. I have a I have a um a Kiesel behind me. I have plethora of quality instruments around me at all times. Like I'm not gonna go into the store and be like I need a Harley Benton right now. Right, right. Unless exactly. I want a project, you know. And so projects exactly. are one thing, and I've done them. Like I've got that. I've got yeah. the red unicorn. But yep. I'm the Harley Benton Fusion. I would think about it. Yeah, it's like three hundred bucks stainless steel frets. Yeah, the 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 one we looked at online. One fret job, all it needs, and then yeah. uh, as long as the neck is, you know, reasonably true, uh, even if the neck's not true, you rip the frets out of it and true it. I mean, you got a Guthrie Govan model right there. Right. That's basically what they are. Um, I, I, so that kind of swings us back around to the Gibson thing, right? So yeah. lots of cheap guitars in the world right now, and um. I know Gibson is basically like backtracking on what they've said, and I'm not really following super close what's going on, but. So what, yeah, so, since I've been out of the, the loop, what exactly have they been talking about? Um, they apparently issued like some sort of apology statement, and now they, the word on the street is that they're going into collaboration mode. So well, the intention you know, is to okay, collaborate so, with people. Yeah, so when I saw um, recently, I saw some people that were calling for folks to put tape over their Gibson logos. And I'm like, you know, that's silly. That's not going to happen. It's absolutely silly. Like, okay, yeah. look, if you, I don't care if you're, if you're Henry Ford or if you're Joe, you know, Joe blowing your garage, building kit cars. If you're, yeah. if you're knocking off current Ford models, regardless of when it was designed, you're going to get sued and right. no one's going to care. Okay, that's what this is. Okay, so when you see these small builders, and I'm gonna I'm gonna name some names like Doug Cower, and these other guys, yep. whether you like them or not, okay, that's completely relevant to this argument. These guys are operating out of closets, okay, and they are doing precisely what Gibson was was saying they were, which is knocking off their guitars. Right now, we can sit here and we can pretend all day long. Like, oh, well, the headstock's different or the, the control layout's different. But ultimately, they didn't come up with the concept, okay? Um, right. And, and, and you know what? In some cases, Gibson didn't come up with the concept either. But right. those, those are all court cases that need to be settled by the courts. They're not for the court of public opinion to decide. Unfortunately, the court of public opinion obviously gets involved, especially when passions are in, in the realm, like with Gibson, Harley-Davidson, and other companies. Well, people want to see the big guy fall. They always want to see the big guy fail. And the fact of the matter is that there is no. Uh, I don't. There, there is no um, really just like there is no original song. There is no original guitar. Can I can I um, put a spin on this for everybody? Yeah. Yeah. So they want to see the big guy fail for any of our listeners who disagree with me. I'm, I'm up for debate. Like we can talk about it in the group. I have no problem having a conversation about this. And I'm, I'm not angry at you. I'm, I'm I just. I think that there's a, a part of this that people neglect, and that is Gibson isn't like this nameless, faceless corporation, right? You go to their their booth at Sweetwater, and they have three of the guys that actually work there doing fine inlay work, winding pickups, and you know, finishing and that kind of stuff, like custom paint, that kind of thing. Like, right. they have those three guys there sh talking to you because they know you need to see that there is a person behind this. 
because right. we demonized Henry Juskowitz and we made that company Henry Juskowitz. We did not make that company the people who are actually doing the work. And that's the that's problem. True. It's very easy to demonize Walmart. But if you hurt it Walmart, is. you're going to hurt the employees too. So stop and think for a minute. What would Doug Cower be doing if Doug Cower wasn't building guitars by himself in his garage or, or somebody else's garage or in that workshop that he pays for or whatever? Like, what, what would he be doing? He'd be working for somebody like Gibson or Dean right. or any of these other companies, right? So ultimately, like, we need to stay out of it. Buy the guitars you like. Don't worry about all the politics and drama and crap that's going on behind the scenes. And just buy the stuff that's good. Because at the end yeah. of the day, that's what should survive, right? Well, electric guitars, by, in, by far and away, not a mature instrument. We had the electric, because I don't consider it the same thing as the acoustic guitar or the classical guitar. This instrument's only been around 75 years, 80 years, you know, yep. in, in the current firm, which, which is a solid body electric guitar, right? So, like, obviously there's other things. But my point is, this is not a mature instrument. And so the more you buy what works, the more mature it becomes, the more likely that we'll see designs that actually look more and more similar because guess what? Manufacturers will find out what works and the playing will standardize and everything else. This, this is not a new process. It's done in a different way because we didn't have manufacturers before, but you know, when Stradivarius was designing violins, you think he was just copying somebody else's design. Right. I hate to break it to you, but he was, I mean, that's, he was looking around at what everybody else is doing and going, this is what the, the demanding player of this time needs. And so I will produce this. And it just happened to be that it was the same as now, not exactly the same, because obviously might've been putting blood in the finishes and everything else, but basically like feature wise, it was the same as what other people were offering. Yeah. So just put a modern context on it. Don't, don't pee on a company because you, you know, you don't like what the CEO did. There's a lot more people in that company than that CEO. Look at me. I bought a Kiesel. You guys know what I think of him. Um, so I put my money where my mouth is. Yeah, no kidding. That's <clears throat> that's easily uh, probably one of the, the prime examples of um, a company that has a, has a spokesperson. And it's, he's always, at least the guitar side, is, how do I say this? It's not that big. Um. You know, there's probably what forty people there, thirty-five people there. Yeah, I, it's got to be under forty. Yeah. Um, and so it's not it's not that huge of a company. And like you said, if you crap on on um, Kiesel, the guy, you're crapping on those employees, and that's not you know, to me that's not cool. Just my just my two cents, not cool. Quick, quick. you're crapping on people that you don't know. You're trying to put the face of Jeff Kiesel behind it. But in all reality, it's all those people. And there's a lot of people who put their, um, they, they want to make a fine quality instrument. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I want to put, I want to put a fine point on some things I've been hearing about Kiesel too. Um, yeah. I have a, I have a friend who, um, I won't mention his name because I don't know whether he would want me to talk about this comment with regards to this, but um, he's been questioning kiesel quality because he sees these people in the kiesel group who are not happy with what they get now mm -hmm. i've been laughing and kind of quietly telling him like look at the people you're looking at before you start realizing like that they're right right stop for a second because when somebody goes to a company that makes 
um, build to order guitars. They do not make custom guitars. They do not make custom instruments. They do not. They are build to order. Everyone needs to stop. That is a marketing term that they use. Their instruments are built to order. In other words, they have standard designs that you can modify. You can get modifications that are off the books if they're willing to do them for you. That is not a custom shop. A custom shop you go to and you can get whatever you want for however much you are willing to spend. Okay. Now, Kiesel will tell you in some cases they won't do things. And it happens more frequently than people care to mention. Because I've had some conversations with some people asking specific questions. Told no. Um, so what you get is people are going to Kiesel thinking, oh, it's a custom shop, right? And they get some of the options they want and they pay through the nose for them. And then they get this guitar and they're not happy with it because it's not a true custom shop. Okay. So when you call yeah. up, when you call up Kiesel, you don't get a picture of the wood top that they're going to, they're going to make your guitar out of. They don't, you don't have that level of participation. Now, if I go right. to a true private builder, I can, they'll literally send me a picture of the top. They're going to build a guitar out of and be like, here you the top you want you know is this cool and they have a selection of woods it's like paulie smith wood library right but here's the difference in price you go to wood library you're talking ten thousand plus you know um versus going to um kiesel and you're talking three thousand so who do you think you're going to get a better product from Right, like, exactly. and and that's and that's what it boils down to. You're you're expecting to get a ten thousand dollar guitar for three, because right. you've built it up in your mind. Is there an actual custom shop, honest to god custom shop, and that these custom shops are really not charging you what something's worth, um, which that they're not charging you what it's worth on the used market because we see these ten thousand dollar wood library PRSs sometimes going for six. You know, um they're charging you the amount of labor and stuff that goes into the guitar. Like people don't seem yeah. to realize that's I've had conversations with various people over the years. I'm going to build my guitar because I can build one myself and it'll be, it'll be better and it'll be cheaper than if I was to buy. Listen, no, we'll not. If you want the same quality woods that they're buying, like beyond furniture grade that they're buying to put guitars together at Paul Reed Smith, for example, good luck. First off, you're going to have to find a place where you can buy it, which is not as yep. easy as people think it is, because most of this book, this wood gets dibs on right. by the guitar manufacturers from the That's guitar. Right. They've already been bought when the, yeah. when the damn things, in other words, yeah. I mean, not to mention the fact that you throw away more money in the wood shavings than you do actually use, which is yep. what people don't seem to understand. When you buy a, a you know, a, a what do they call it? A 5A flame maple top. I think that's the right. a 10 top yep. is PRS term. When you buy those tops, they ground out most of that stuff with a router. You you basically paid for the wood shavings that they don't give you. Um, yeah. I, I, I can't make it up. I mean, that's, that's the truth. And so just keep that in mind. Like when you pay for a $3,000 guitar, you're probably paying $1,000 in wood. Maybe twelve hundred dollars in wood. Yep. You know, I mean, it, the labor is there too, but with CNC and stuff, the labor is not as much as it used to be. Um, right. It's it's mostly in your in your quality of materials. I mean, some of it's labor, but I mean, 
I would probably say probably two thirds of your instrument cost are your electronics and your wood, you know, and your finishing. And then everything else is just like, you know, the hand labor to shape the neck and all those kinds of things. And, um, and that's, it's expensive. It's, it's intensive work. Um, and it's a highly skilled work for sure. So just remember, you know, there's a reason these things are expensive. Uh, yeah. Now, so bring us, bring us back to Harley Benton, right? Um, Harley Benton is not expensive. And the reason for that is they're not using super fancy woods. They're not using um, exceptional pickups. They're not, you, you know, they're using basic parts and basic parts are basic parts. And if you can live with basic parts, great. Um, I can, I can get, I can get away. I can tell you right now, I could take a Harley Benton and I could play 50 gigs with it and be totally fine. Um, but that does not mean that it would, the guitar will be totally fine in those 50 gigs. Uh, you know, I might, I am, I will probably wear out a pot. I will probably, you know, break a tuner or something, uh, or, or a tuner will not hold tune and I'll have to tune up every song. There's going to be little like annoyances, but, but it's a functional guitar. What more could you get for 190 bucks? I mean, that's the price of a pedal nowadays. Exactly. So think of it, when you think of it from that perspective, that makes you realize like what a value it actually is. Like I can buy a Harley Benton Fusion, or I can buy a Strymon pedal. Yep. And when you when you stop and you look at it from that perspective, like it's not such a bad deal. It's not no. after all. I mean, um, so so you are not going to let me forget that I'm buying a Harley. No, no, you, so. you need to buy you need to buy a Harley Benton because uh, those uh, pickups I was winding with Nick. Video's not out yet. Uh, you'll probably need a P90 equipment guitar to put them in. They're going to have to go in there. Yeah, yeah probably. So you might <laughs> want to get cracking on that. Exactly. I'm actually testing, um, and I'll, I'll go ahead and start pimping this out. I'm testing uh, uh, a Great Lakes cable right now. Um, oh. In fact, here's this guy right here. It's on the floor next to me. And this is like, this is a pro quality cable. Yeah. And um it's it doesn't use no trick jacks it uses um can't read the logo on here retin or rian jacks but they are they look great they look well constructed the um soldering work on here is excellent um i have had zero problems with the cables in terms of tonality or anything and it's got a silent plug so What more could you ask for? And I don't know what these retail for, but we got one. We're going to give it away. I think think I'm actually going to buy this one. And I think I'm going to give a fresh one away to to show listeners. And not because I want this one, but because I'm abusing it. And I want to make sure that, you know, show listeners get a fresh one. Yeah. um, Good idea. But I mean, you can't go wrong because he's told me kind of ballpark pricing for these. I think this is a 20 footer or 25 footer. And like it's really well made. Um, I I'm hard pressed not to go back and get more cables from him. To be honest with you, that like zero issues, and, and it sounds good. So it, that that's really the litmus test for me. Does it sound good? Is it reliable? Yes, yes. Check done. Yeah. Buy me five of them. Done. Um, and I think he does Texplex and all that too. If you need it, nice. Um. 
I guess so we were talking about um my trip out to to uh Rockford area where I played with Dan. Um we jammed. I had the the Kemper with me. Now here's where it gets nuts, right? So I've been making profiles. I've got yeah. a set of profiles in the Mark V. And um so that includes like clean, a pushed clean, the uh, the fat side of the clean channel, a pushed version of the fat side of the clean channel, three or four of the crunch channel on different settings. And then I've got like profiles of the 2C plus, the uh the Mark IV mode, and then I've got two profiles of the extreme mode um with different levels of gain. Now I like to run my amp. Most people who run Mesa Boogies, specifically Marks, don't really push the power amp into real saturation. I push mine into saturation. I actually like it to get real gritty and ugly. So um, my profiles are definitely not going to be for everybody. But we were laughing because um, I bought the Victory profiles. The Victory Kraken, the whole kit and caboodle, right? It's like 30 bucks. Yep. It's the first set of profiles I bought for the Kemper. And um, Rabia Massad actually made these. Okay. So I bought them. I asked in the Kemper group right before I bought them. I said, you know, what do you guys think of them? I saw a couple people say, yeah, they're pretty good. Uh, they're a good place to start if you're, into, if you're into high gain stuff. So I bought them. And then I saw the people start showing up that were like, no, they're crap. They're too dark. They must have been recorded with a blanket over the amp. Like all these oh. different things. I'm like, oh, crap. So I bought them. And if you guys recall, when we did the first episode where I talked about the Kemper, um, it has uh, Crank Revolution profiling, right? And I was using yeah. that, the dual rectifier from, I think, I think the, the, the dual rec was from Synmix or something like that. Because all of the profiles that you get in the Kemper come from the famous, like, people that are doing paid profiles for the Kemper. So originally, the Kemper came loaded with profiles they made themselves, like using cactus microphones and stuff, like crazy weird stuff. Um, which are still good profiles and so they're still available. Uh, but they went and they partnered with people like Michael Britt and Tone Junkie and, um, and various others, the Amp Factory. And they put this profile pack together that comes preloaded on the Kemper now. And it has, I mean, there's some exceptional stuff in there. But the, so it has some dual racks. It has, uh, it has the, the Crank Revolution, which I think is actually a Michael Britt profile of all people. And <laughs> I like that thing. Because Michael Britt, he's, he's a country player. And he's a he's like a professional country player. He's, been, he's in a platinum selling band, right? Um, and uh, he's the like the foremost expert on Kemper profiling. And he, I was so shocked to see that he had a crank revolution in here. And it's one of my favorite profiles that came stock. So I was like looking for other stuff like that because I'm like I never really had metal tones like that. So I started digging around, and um, that's why I decided to get a victory profile. So here's what happened: I, I downloaded it right. And the first thing I did was like, what am I going to play? The Kraken, right? I want the Kraken. I want, I want Rabia Massad's amp. So um, the regular Victory Kraken, so it's like a 40 or 50 watt head. When I first started up, I was like, this is dark. I was like, I'm going to have to post-process the crap out of this to make it usable. And uh, so I played around with it. I, I cranked the treble in the presence, and then I kind of like, AB between that and the, the crank and kind of went back and forth for an hour or so. And I finally just kind of got fed up and I said, you know, I wasted my money. I, I went and I tried a couple of the other um, profiles at that time. I tried the Super Kraken, which was better. Um, the Super Kraken is an amp that 
that they did after the initial run. So there's actually been two profile packs. I think they were both 50 bucks a piece or you can get them both for 30 bucks or something like that. Um, mm-hmm. So I bought the, the all packs. So I'm like 30 bucks. I'll just buy them all. It's, 30 bucks is, is not enough to worry about. Um, so then I emailed victory and I'm like, you got a problem on your hands. Like these profiles are really dark and I don't know if you guys have even really listened to them or if you just like let Rebia make them. And then you offered to sell them, but I'm like, there. I'm not the only one complaining about how dark they are. Right. So that was on a Friday. I lived with them over the weekend. I played around with them some more, like going back and forth. And I found some sounds I really liked, but they were they were still pretty dark, right? And then I get a message back from from uh, the company on from Victory on Monday, and they're like. We've reached out to Rabia. He'll be contacting you shortly. And really? I kind of sat there for a minute and I went, what? And then I looked at my email and I get an email from Rabia Massad. <laughs> and, and, and I'm like, so first off, I have a moment where I'm like, wait a minute. I, 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 I have pinched myself, right? And then I went and I actually made coffee because I'm like, I'm going to come back and this didn't really happen. Like I'm sleeping right, or right. something. Um, right. So I come back and I sit down and I've got an email from Rabia Massad sitting in my mailbox. So I'm like, okay. And I read it and he goes, I haven't heard any negative feedback on these patches. Like, um, he's like, I'm sorry you're having a bad experience. He's like, I'd love to be able to help you. And um, he was real cool about it. And I and I responded to him and I said, okay. I said, here's the thread, right? So I print screened the thread and I sent it to him. And, I, and as part of the message, I said, look, I said, you know, I thought they were dark but I didn't think it was a bad purchase. And I agree. And I don't want my money back. Like when I wrote it, I wrote the email on Friday. I was kind of frustrated. And I mentioned that I would like a refund. Um, right. But I'm like, you know what? I can get away with these. Like they will find, they will find use in my toolkits at some point. Like it's Correct. so it's fine. Like don't worry about it. But I want you to know that like people have been saying they're dark, you know, like you. So I sent him the form. I didn't hear anything back from him. So my assumption is that like he took the criticism and like, realize that you know maybe they are a bit dark um well you know well, one of the things that reveal Masad, no no offense to him as an as an individual but fanboys aren't going to say anything to their fan well he acknowledged okay. when he recorded them so, so if you there's a video on youtube where he demonstrates them all and he mentions they were purposely recorded darkly and it was so that you would have more control over how you want to voice them but my whole thing is like I don't really want so the Kemper has little LED lights on it. Let me count them real quick. It's fourteen LED lights for each controller, wow. or, or okay. actually it's probably yeah. thirteen with one in the middle or something. Um, so anyway, I don't want to go over fifty percent of the way up because it then becomes it starts to sound processed because it's like right. you're you know you're adding things that aren't there, right? So. Fortunately, when I first started messing around with them, comparing them to the crank, right? The crank is like this super scooped out metal monster compared to the Kraken. The Kraken is not that amp. It just isn't. Like I went to listen, I listened to some clips, and I was just thinking like it would be like a dual rectifier sort of, but it's not. It's it's more. It's probably closer to a Mark actually, and um, the the other side of the amp is like a like a Jason eight hundred. So I. Because of me, all of the profiles when we sat down at good time this weekend that we went through sounded really good. So 
Rabia Masad, I apologize. Like these are actually great. Um, I think you just have to learn how to use them. And there's a pretty weird learning curve there because they're not the same as the way other people do them. So typically when people make your profiles, they set the amp sounding great. They put the mic in a position that sounds great. And then they, they hit go. Um, whereas if you do what he did, like he's giving you more control over actually how to use these and makes them more usable in that sense. So it's just, you got to like weigh the good with the bad. I kind of like the idea of the Kemper being this plug and play. Like I just pick a profile. It's going to sound good. I don't have to worry about it kind of thing. So that was, that was my whole situation. But, um, that, that begs another question. So personalization of gear, right? Um, talking about what Rob Chapman did with that Harley Benton. That's a big component of guitar playing. And it it's, it, it's that realm of like subjectivity that gets people pissed off at one another because somebody says what you're doing is shit versus what I'm doing. And I, I've been in trouble for doing that before. And that's part of the reason why I avoid doing it so hard now, because I know like I've, I've used crap, like what everybody else would say was crap, but I was getting good sounds out of it. So, um, I try not to do that to other people, but I'll say this, the camper is very much like a real rig in the sense that I can take a Mark V profile from from a famous profiler who I purchased from, right? And yeah. it his profile out of the box sounds like dog shit. But I can go into the settings and I can tighten it up. There's actually a, a knob for definition and there's a soft knob for um, clarity. And I can make it sound like my Mark. And the way I would, the way I would voice it. So that's testament to, you know, how subjective this stuff really is. Not even just like the Kemper, but like everything in general. It, it, it all comes down to the, to the difference in the way that we hear things and the difference that we expect things to respond. And it all is a summation of the, either the gear and the experiences that we've been through. Yep. So somebody who's played metal gigs um, for the majority of their playing career um, is going to have a completely different idea of what they should do than say like Rhett Shull, right? Um, who I was watching his, one of his videos today and he was playing through a deluxe reverb with, with, uh, you know, the, the Strymon mothership uh, in front of him. Yeah. And um, I, I have to say like that kind of took me aback this weekend to see somebody else who's really just got a whole different philosophy about here and made me feel kind of like selfish and snobby because I was like, yeah, I have all this stuff, but ultimately I don't need it all. Like I really don't. Um, it's right. just self-serving and like, I'm happy. Like I'm, I'm not, I'm not selling any of my gear. I'm not sitting here going, um, I've overpaid or anything like that. I just think like I could get by for a lot less. I really good. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm happy where I am though. So it is what it is. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's a lot of that, um, you know, I don't want to use the word attitude because that kind of takes on a negative connotation, but, uh, you know, those feelings. Well, I want to, so after Gear Fest, after going through this insane shopping spree that I went on, um, which thankfully I didn't go too insane, but I, but because I had, a, I bought a road case yesterday, right? I bought um, an SKB, well, Friday. I bought an SKB i3 20, 
510 or something like that, which is, uh, it's going to fit my Kemper. It's going to fit my Kemper floorboard. It's going to fit my mission controller. It's, you know, the foam, the pick and pull foam. So it'll be really easy to set up. And the reason I did that is I, I bought a duffel bag to store the Kemper. And I did a video in the group. You can watch it. It's no big deal. Um, and it was fine to carry the Kemper around. But when I had to put the foot controller in it, like then it wasn't fine because it was pushing on the knobs um, through the through the front of the bag. And if I banged it wrong, like I was afraid it was going to break one of the knobs off or something like that. So I decided to go ahead and just pony up. And Brandt sent me a text message saying, hey, we got this open box demo unit. And it's just the same size as the Pelican you were looking for. So I said, you know what, Brandt, you're a good sales guy. Like, you can have my money. And so yeah. I bought one side and side. I barely even looked at it. I looked at the dimensions and I looked at the weight. The weight was five pounds less than the Pelican. And it's an SKB, so it's guaranteed for life. I was just like, like, yeah. just do it. Um, so yeah, that ends that ends basically like the 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 uh, Kemper spree right there. Cuz there's nothing else I need. There really isn't. Um yeah. there's a lot of nice to haves, but I'm not even like I'm not even I'm looking at the Kemper right now and I'm going I could have the foot con another foot controller like the the um Mission KP1. Um but I don't need it. All I need is a wah. I was like I don't need anything else other than that. Um that would be a nice to have, but I don't even know if that could fit in the thing. You know why I bought the uh, SKB gym? I'm going to come see you this one. No. That's yeah. cool. I'm going to, to maybe February, March, fly down there. That'd be nice. I'll fly down there. Put, yeah. put on the plane. Fly it Yeah, because it'll be my check luggage. I have to do, we'll have to do a couple open mics. We'll have to do something. I'm dude, yeah. I'm not get, letting you get away from meeting me. Like, you didn't come to Gearfest, and <laughs> so I'm going to bring a party to you. Yeah, I, I, hold my beer. I definitely wanted to be there. Let me tell you something. Hold my beer. I it really ticked me off that I didn't get to come because there were so many things that I wanted to do. You know, and the biggest part for me, it's about people. It's about meeting people. It's yeah, about, yeah. You know, and the experience that we have as as a group together, and I didn't get to do that, and it, it sucks. It just sucks that I didn't get to do that. Um. I was upset. I'm not mad. I wasn't mad at you, but like circumstances suck. No, no. And um, the circumstances terrible. Yeah, and like that whole situation, it just it wasn't cool. And like it's fine. We we we're adults. We can we can deal with those kind of circumstances. But um, yep. Hopefully, we'll get to do something this fall, or or you know, I'm like I said, I'm planning on coming out there sometime in February. But um, I don't. So. Music wise, I you know we talked about we've done this segment before. We talked about what we're listening to right now, and um, I I intended to come to, to this podcast with like more music stuff, um, but I'm going to try to tie this back to some of the gear conversation that's been going on in this episode. And I also want to, um, this is going to be the Kemper Bonanza because I know there's going to be some other episodes where I'm probably talking a lot about the Kemper because it's basically the only piece of gear I have right now. I mean. Um, that I'm using like frequently um, other than my guitars, of course. And uh, so I've been listening to Robin Trash, um, what's the name? It's a live record. The one he did in the, 
like like 2010 2011 um and i was listening to it today because i was working and i had it on in the background i actually had a little youtube window over so it was playing live you know um and i gotta say so i was listening to it and i was just inspired because i'm a big robin trial fan anyway but i was inspired as like can i get those sounds out of the kemper so as soon as some progress bars hit and I and I was having morning coffee, I grabbed my guitar and I started dialing the Kemper. And I got those sounds like pretty quick. Quicker than I could have with a helix, for sure. Um and I've never been that happy with my guitar sound as I was this morning. Um, just because of the ease of use and then like the accuracy. Um and I'm not I'm not a big guy for tone matching, so that's um that should say something. But um that and I listened to um the second half of the live at Montro from uh TV Ray. Which Oh yeah. That's an exceptional performance too. But his best his best D V D. Like if you've never if you've never watched a Stevie Ray Vaughan performance at all, go get live at El Macombo. Don't bother with the yeah. live at Montro. Don't bother with the um, um there's another one too. Uh the Austin City Limits. Go get live at El Macombo. Because his tone and the way he plays on that in a little bitty club will knock your socks off. Uh that that was my first Stevie Ray Vaughan experience. Somebody bought that for me and I'd never heard him. And I put that on and I was like, who is this guy? Um, I'd already, of course, I'd been playing guitar at that point. Like I'd heard the name, but unless you seek these people out, you know, you're not going to know about it. And I, I just remember, like my 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 horizons instantly went like from like this super narrow like metal progressive thing to like this gigantic like arena of like what the hell else is out there. Um, and so that's I think that's part of the reason why I have such a soft spot for him. It's because I heard that thing and like it really opened me up to all kinds of different stuff jim what do you listen to you you had a lot of time in the car so so on the way i listened to uh a lot of different things you know um musically uh i i kind of tried to keep myself where um i was listening to um so Pink Floyd, I listened to some uh, Roger or um, some David Gilmore solo stuff. I listened to a lot of things that were not. Um, what do I say this? They weren't um, musical as well. I was listening to a lot of political podcasts, a lot of books on tape. Um, That's fuel, man. Well, I tell you, I so the drive was ten hours up, ten hours back. That's twenty hours in the car. Yeah. Um, that that were just, uh, and coming back, I was so lucky. I missed DC traffic coming down, watching ninety five. It looked like a parking lot <laughs> coming at me. Then I'm going the other way. I'm like, oh, I just shot past that crap. And uh, so, um, but it was, you know, it was a, a matter of me putting on some really like heavy metal for me, heavy metal. Some Iron Maidens, Judas Priest, and, um, stuff like that. Going from from about uh, uh, Yorktown 
to Chesapeake, I was, and I had to, I'm one of those people that doesn't stop unless it's got to get gas. I had to pee so bad I could taste it. <laughs> and it tasted just like pee. So I was, I was driving as, you know, as fast as I could, looking for cops, <laughs> staying with traffic that was moving fast. Dude, I got to get back. I know. Oh, my God. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to explode. Got in the house. Poor dog. He wants to go out. I'm like, like you go wait. Standing in <laughs> I'm doing like the beginning. Remember when they brought Austin Powers out of his frozen right, state? Right, right. I'm standing over there just, oh my God. When will it end? So you had a bottle so, yeah. and you were squeezing the bottle out like an Austin Powers? No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm just messing with you. Oh, yeah. Um, terrible. <laughs> I did bring a bottle. I, did everybody like my mocking laughter? I mean, that's a question for our show listeners when he said heavy metal and then he mentioned like Iron Maiden. Yeah. <laughs> um, we, I knew you coming were back from, that. coming back from gear fest. We listened to like Mastodon and um, I'm trying to think some of the other bands, like we were listening to some dwarven metal and like Kish, Kish took over the radio for a little bit. So it was, yeah, dude, it was destructive. Um, that, that trip back was uh, something else, but we had, some, there's some other stuff too. We listened to some blues, some different other stuff. Um, yeah, yeah, that's I just laugh now because, like, I don't get me wrong, like, I love like 80s metal and and uh free thrash and thrash metal, but like, Iron Maiden is like the tip of the iceberg, it's hard rock to me, like, it's not even in the metal ballpark, really. Um, even I was listening to Alter Bridge the other day, um, I think it's the first record, the one with uh, came. They're all good, but Alter Bridge deserves like every rock Grammy there is right now. Blackbird? Yeah, that one. Broken Wings. All yep. those, those songs. Um, that record is so good. And that's heavier than Iron Maiden. <laughs> like I was I was I just had like a realization moment while I was listening to it and I go, Wow, this is actually heavier than Iron Maiden. Like, wait a minute. <laughs> So when you say that, like, I'm just thinking, like, the hard rock I listen to is heavier than that. <laughs> um, there's nothing wrong with that. Like, I really like Iron Maiden. I, I'm still planning on going to see them in September or whenever it is, October. Um, I need to get tickets, but it's lawn, so it'd be easy to get tickets. Um, yeah, I I don't know. I mean, right now, like, musically, um, I'm working on so much of just, like, trying to work on phrasing and that is the one thing that still eludes me to this day because i got back from gear fest playing with nick and the guys and um it, it became apparent to me that, like i don't know when to not play um i i play like i talk which if you've listened to this podcast for any length of time you know that i don't shut up and so when you play like that it becomes very irritating and um, I'm getting better at it. And the way I'm doing it is like really unorthodox. Um, one of the ways that I do it is I, I try to play lines in between breathing. So just like a sax player, like I'll breathe out, I'll exhale, and then I'll play a line while I'm exhaling. And then when I stop, then I stop. You know, I stop breathing, then I stop. Like when I stopped inhale. And I'll stop. And that forces you to put that pause in there. 
And you'll also think about things like start the phrase on the same note I end on. So that way you know that you have to actually stop it. You know, there's a, there's um, uh, a lot to be said about leaving silence, but when you say you're leaving silence, are you talking about um, a second of silence? Are you talking yeah, yeah, about like, like a, so a moment where when you, when you play music and you, just like when we speak, right? We put a period at the end of a sentence when we speak by taking that pause. Right. I'm putting more yep. period. I'm putting more punctuation in my music. Basically, what right. It is. And I'm trying to be conscious of the fact that, like, it's really easy for me to solo through a bunch of chord changes and just play continuously. That's dangerous. I mean, that's that's the kind of thing that gets your uh, playing license revoked. Well, yeah, the the. the... Um, playing police will pull you over for doing too well, you much. You know I'm I sorry. Can, you sir. know I can do it. I mean, that's <laughs> there's too many notes per second. Um, we're going to have to pull your license. Uh, you're going to have to go to a class and shut the fuck yeah. up. No, I mean, it, it, you know, it, I think it's easier for me because I stop and I think about just like when I speak, you, you hear me oftentimes stop to think about what is it that I want to say in this moment? What word would better express the feeling or the, the, the uh, thing that I, I want to say, I, I can't even come up with a word right now for that, but like, how can I say, um, you know, this, music. whatever this is. Music, music. Music for you is a conscious decision. Okay. Right. It is. And for me, I can I can legitimately say, and this is like probably one of the biggest moments we've had on this show for me as a person. Music is totally subconscious for me. It is my subconscious speaking. It is not my consciousness speaking. And my consciousness, all it tries to do is ride the bull. And like the subconscious is gonna do what it wants, which is let muscle memory take over, like go with the music. I do use my ears actively um to follow along with what's going on because I play through chord changes, but I don't the way in which I play is very much like visceral. And it, I, as I said, it's like put, trying to put a saddle on a bull and ride it as somebody waves a red flag in front of it. Um, and so if you don't, if you're not good, you're, you're, you're going to get bucked off real quick. Um, and I think that most of my development in music is trying to tame that bull. And I think that's like a very poignant thing we've arrived at. I feel like I'm in therapy right now. Like, that's what this feels like to me, Jim. It feels like I've had this, like, big discovery moment, because I'd never really boiled it down to that. I don't think about what I do before I do it, except in very broad general terms. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not like, I'm going to play this light, lead line here, or I'm going to do this here. It's more like, okay, so for, so for these four bars, I'm going to do this thing that starts off this way and ends this way, and I'm not going to have any real say about what really happens other than right. i know it needs to be like it needs to be quiet in the front and then slowly raise up and it's staccato and then loud you know what i mean like that that's the way that i look at it it's it's a very like informal uh thing whereas i know a lot of people when they write a melody line they sing the melody line before they play it yep and that and you can in my head that's what i'm doing and you can literally watch my mouth move and see what I'm singing as I'm going. And so it's, it's crazy. 
You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, my wife laughs. Um, I'm probably getting bad echo because I'm back from the microphone. Apologize. Um, my wife laughs because I play with the headphones on the Kemper. I put the Kemper on my coffee table. That is one of the coolest. By the way, the Kemper, I know people think it's like ugly or it doesn't look like a guitar amp. That's fine because it will actually sit on your coffee table and it doesn't look ugly. So I plug my Kemper in, I sit it on the coffee table, and I put my headphones on. And my wife just starts cracking up. Like I'm sitting there playing. I play for like three hours. She's sitting in the chair next to me and she just starts cracking up. And I'm like, what is wrong with you? And she looks at me and she says, you're making noises when you play. And I said, what kind of noises? She's like, you're grunting and you're moaning and like, like not moaning, but like sighing and like breathing strangely and all this. And it's like, I'm sure I do. I mean, I don't think it's funny, but that's just, you're doing a physical thing. Like, what do you expect? I would get banned from the, the fitness place, you know, the, for the, uh, was it the um, Planet Fatness where they where they don't allow yeah, people to grunt, grunt, grunt or whatever? No, you can grunt. You just can't call people names. Oh. Can't say, hey, fatty. Well, the, I can't be there. Yeah. I, well, I have to be hard on myself. Come on. That's, I, I, mean, get up my I I'm usually hard on myself. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. No, I think, I think that's, you know, I think it goes with being a musician, though. Like, mm -hmm. I think self-deprecation is, is really with any artist, you know, uh, performance artist, like, you have to have that third eye that can see yourself, you know, so that you can, like, critique yourself and get better or worse. I'm fortunate, as we saw in the last episode, I have very many critical people whose opinions around me I actually trust and right. who have never let me down. Like in terms of, you know, saying something awful to me just to make me mad or any of that. They've always been very honest with me about my work. So it's it's helped me develop as a player. It's my safe space. We don't talk about safe spaces here. Yeah, no, yeah. Not that kind of safe space. There are guns in my safe space. <laughs> just saying. There are these guns and there are other guns too. Yeah, those. Yep. Um yeah i don't know man like i think it's important to learn that when you're when you're playing there's so many there's so many things to think about when it comes to it comes to the realization that you absolutely need to um, leave space in anything anything so i i don't know i don't know how to how to express that any other way except um i I think it depends on context too. So if you're in a three piece, you don't have to leave as much space. Right. As a matter of fact, you're kind of in the opposite predicament. If it, and I think what happens is a lot of people like yourself, they grow up um, in the, you know, Hendrix um, slash, uh, you know, Stevie Ray Vaughan. Yeah, post that and stuff. Yeah, and those guys were small. Um, they were definitely yeah three piece. The ba the bass player had to play chords during um, the time that the uh, the lead player is doing their thing. It's kind of a I don't know. Yeah, well, so the only means. difference. Um, that's a good segue because I think we've got another topic. This episode. So, um, 
Jimmy did the band of gypsies, right? And then there was like, I don't know how many guys were on stage during that band. It seemed like there was like nine dudes playing with him. Um, and his playing kind of morphed. Um, that was machine gun, that kind of stuff. Um, and that was the last record, which was the live record. Um, and it was very clear that he had to adapt his style to that. And if you listen to that era, um, listen to the who, right? Because the Who's only a four-piece, right? Um, but vocals are really their own thing. I don't really like count them in the piece of a band. And um, if you pay attention, like John Entwistle works overtime in that band. For for right. any time that like um, Pete Townsend is just like wailing away and do the windmill thing, and you know, being the rock god that he is. Um, John Entwistle is back in the corner, like overplaying, like super hard to make up for it. And um, I think you you'd be hard pressed to find a, a three piece, and I know of one where nobody really had to go over the top. Like they were all kind of like really restrained with their playing. And the one I'm thinking of is the Police. They knew how to build space into their music, even as a three piece which is something that I have not seen any other three-piece or four-piece bands do um, because there's enough sonic space to fill it up. I think, I think genre has a lot to do with that too. Um, if you're going to play, if you're going to play metal, you know, it's okay to not have as many pauses in your lead section. Um, that's kind of a more classical orientation. If you're going to play jazz, you can have a lot longer phrases. Uh, that's for sure. Um, I think shorter phrases appeal to the human mind a little bit better, but um, for sure, like pop jazz is filled with, you know, eight bars of just like random wailing. Um, and, and, and I know it's not <laughs> random, but that's what it sounds like to the listener. Um, you know, so to stop and think about like bands, like uh, I'm trying to think of good examples of bands that, that were huge. Chicago is probably the classic example. Um, Terry Kath like had some really really standout moments but for the most part like he's underplaying a lot of that stuff and he's a much better player than than he than he would you would think he would have been um, yeah and that's you know that's the genius of like being in a big group like that although I will say this uh, the people I do know who played in big groups like that like they talk about like being on their phone while they're on stage and and like crazy stuff like that, or you know, like having a beer while the while the song's going on, because they can get away with it. There's nothing going on. Like there might be eight bars where they're not doing anything, like literally nothing. Um, I've never had that experience where I just stand there on stage, which is I'm fortunate because I think I think guitar is one of those instruments that isn't that way. You know, um, you usually are doing something, even if it's just comping, um, but like keyboard players it happens where you've got like eight bars or 16 bars where you're just sitting there like spacing out um that's why you hear about them missing cues and stuff like guitar players i, I not many that i know miss cues because right you can't i mean like you're you're constantly busy you have two cues in the song the first and the end you know like <laughs> uh, i don't know um maybe you have a maybe you have a different take on that because you've with a lot of other people and stuff but uh it always seems like 
we're less accident prone because we have to be on the ball. I can tell you right now, I've I've missed cues, I've missed uh, solos nine times out of ten. It's because the guitar, the gosh darn guitar player or uh, singer starts singing over me. Oh yeah, um, I just turn up. <laughs> and so uh, you'll you'll know what I'm about to play a guitar solo, and I've got a singer because I'll be back by the amp. <laughs> it's like, okay, but I was supposed to play here, you know, and it's and it's scripted. I mean, it's not like they're they're coming in with something that wasn't there from the beginning it's in. you know what and it's not really me trying to be like a jerk and doing territorial pissing or anything but but it's me being like a reminder hey this isn't the you show um please don't tread on me like remember that there's a band yeah. this is not about you check your right. ego at the door um and so that's you know that's a whole other thing too because egos like we talked about on the show before dealing with people with egos and there are a lot of them in our business is just psychotic. And for whatever reason, they always seem to be guitar players or singers. And I don't know why that is. I don't know whether those people just get into being those two professions because they're at the front. Uh, I'm the guitar player that doesn't really care if I'm standing out front. Like I will. And I understand that, but I, that's not, I don't care if I am. You know, which one's worse? The guitar players that are singers. Yeah. I've seen them too. And usually they can't play and sing. They like they're they're good at one or the other. And then you're like, what are you doing here? And and why is your ego so big? You're not good at both. Stop it. And you don't carry the yep. band. Cuz you cuz you you play yep. drums? You play bass? No, you don't. Shut up. Like I I just drives me nuts. I want to see consensus decisions. And you've seen bands. I know everyone in this group and and who listens to this podcast has seen a band at some point where you can tell one of the members on stage has a head that's bigger than everybody else. Yep. Oh, there's always one person in the band that has the biggest ego. Yeah, yeah. I don't. I mean, I I know you can't escape ego too. Like, ego is partially like the creative side of you being being you know assertive, but at the same time, like real ego is you think you are bigger than whatever it is you're doing. And yep. let's face it, how many people have you met in your life? And I'm sure you've met people, me or me or otherwise, or you know, any of our listeners, whatever, who have been like, I, you know, I got to open for so and so, and like that was a really cool experience. They and they don't they that's how you know they have an ego is when they start out with the I played with so and so. It's not, you know, I play yeah. in this band and like, you know, I play with and then they list the members. It's 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 yep. like I played on stage with and it's like, well, what band are you in? That's the next question. You know, if you, if you have to ask that question the second time, you know, like, oh, right. <laughs> this is a problem. Um, but I, I fortunately, um, I've never really dealt with people with like an ego problem. So not like in one of my playing situations. It's like the point where I'm just like, shut up. You don't know what you're talking about. Hire somebody else. Yeah, because honestly, that would be my attitude about it. Um, I just don't have time for that kind of crap. And like the the situations I do have where I you know, I'm usually playing with friends, you know, or like I'm in a friend's band or something. That's a little bit different because it's not just about me. Like it's about helping somebody out or being their friend and all these other components that, that are that are social in nature. If I'm doing it and you're paying me to play like solos and stuff for you. 
or you're paying me to learn the material or whatever and then like i'm getting gig money from it and you tell me to do something that i think is a bad idea i i'm gonna tell you no you know like it's not my ego coming out it's look i i've got a lot of experience doing this and if it's not going to work, it's not going to work. And I don't care whether it makes you look good or not. Like this isn't about whether right. you look good or not. Are you, are, is this a solo act with another, is this Tom Petty and the heartbreakers? You know what I mean? Like, no, it's usually not. It's usually some full band, you know? Exactly. And it, and that gets to be, like you said, it gets to be a problem. It gets to be a problem with, uh, when the egos start to clash, well, I mean, at our level, you start to- if you have an ego, like, get over yourself. Look around. You're playing at a bar. You know, you know what I mean? Like, what are you on? Um, even if you're playing at, like, the festival level, like, listen, you don't have roadies. You don't have a crew. You don't, you, nope. your crew might be your buddies, right? You pay with beer. Um, that's my point. It's like, until you're doing this to the point where people are depending on you doing it, you have no right to act like that. Zero. You have to mean something before that happens. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that's I don't even think when, when is... you get to that level, you're, you're usually wise enough because you've been through enough. You're not going to have an ego. Like, you're going to look at the situation and go, if I have an ego now, I'm just going to create problems for myself. Now, obviously, your rare exceptions, your Diamond Daves and your Eddie Van Halens, and I use both of them because both of them have huge egos. And it's hard to it's hard to get over. It's hard for everybody. Sure. And then, and then, what happens to the band? The band has to um, live on. Yeah, you but Eddie I mean? Van Halen, they can't even sleep in the same building. Oh, I know. Ridiculous. It really is. Oh, have you heard the latest rumors? No. Van Halen's cancer may be back. Ooh. And uh, so there was a picture that surfaced a couple of weeks ago of him or, uh, with his motorcycle, but he's got this weird hat on, and it looks like he's bald. And people are thinking he's going chemotherapy right now. They did cancel some tour dates. So, yeah. very good chance. Um, I, if that happens, that's a big deal for guitar players. Whether you're a Van yep. Halen fan or not, like if you're not a Van Halen fan, first off, um, maybe you should like you know just reconsider playing guitar um, because he's, you know, there's few people that you can put on the level with Jimi Hendrix in terms of the amount of um, influence they've had on the instrument, and he's one of them. Like whether you like him or not, you know, you got to accept that a lot of the things you do today you do because he did them, uh, right. Anybody who puts humbuckers and strats, those kinds of things. I know other people were doing it first, but nobody was doing it in mass until he did it. So, yep. yeah, it's a big. It's a big thing. Um, it's a lot of people don't. They look at. Uh, um, they look at, you know, the older. Oh, that's old music. That's that's. I don't care about that, or I don't listen to Van Halen. But they don't think about. How many of the things that Eddie may not have invented, like you said, popularized? But, right, he made it so that other people wanted to do it. Yeah, yeah, and and that's you can't do you can't get you can't get out. There's a thing called secondhand witnessing. This idea that, like, 
let's say now my parents aren't, but let's say my parents were in the Holocaust, right? And then they right. raised me. And some of their ideals that they took away from the Holocaust would be impressed upon me at secondhand witnessing. They have been guitar playing all the time. Like, do you really think that I play like Albert King or do I play like Stevie Ray? You know what I mean? Like, it's their influences bleed down. And so, correct. Eddie Van Halen, you may not like him, but you might like Mark Tremonti. And I can guarantee you that Mark Tremonti plays a lot of Eddie Van Halen. Like, I, they, I'm just saying, like, that's the way it works. It's a trickle-down thing. Yep. Um, yep. And so don't act like, you know, you're you're devoid of influence from these people. It, it, that's just not realistic. So, yep. Um, I, hope that, I hope that if he is sick, I hope I send him good vibes. Um, I hope that he gets some yeah. psychological help. I think, I think he's got some severe psychological issues as well. That's my own personal opinion. Yeah. Um, based on interviews with him and behaviors and things that I've seen. Um, yeah. <laughs> but I don't think that's related to his current medical condition. Um, I think that, you know, I wish that him and David Lee Roth could bury the hatchet with one another and uh, finally accept that, you know, they were both integral to that band. And so the band cannot function without them. Right. Right. That's That's one of those things. You know, it's just like, um, I, I'm not a huge fan of the Rolling Stones, but when people talk about the Rolling Stones, they talk about one person or another. And the fact is that the Rolling Stones were not a great band without Keith and Mitch. Does anybody remember you know, Keith Richards' solo material? Right, Does exactly. Does anybody no. remember Mick Jagger's solo material? There was a lot of it, no. too. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. It's just... Uh, um, funny thing. So the five E three deluxe, which is kind of popularized by Rolling Stones. Um, yeah. you know, I think, I think it's start me up when I hear that. Right. Um, yeah. The Kemper, when we played it at gear fest and I decided to buy it, I rolled up the five E three deluxe and I played start me up and I was like, Oh, <laughs> cause it sounded identical. <laughs> um, with a Les Paul of all things. So, <laughs> Um, yeah, you know, just I didn't think back there. making this yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, with that, do you think do you think it's been that? Yeah, with that, I've been David. I think it's been I've, that. I've, I've been Jim. I've been David. I've been Jim. I've been. We've been. We've been. Um, some weirdly. Uh, I think we I think we need to start drinking on the show or something. Like we need to spice it up a little bit. I don't know. You know, I think I think me drinking would be more... scary on the show, frankly. Yeah. I don't know. Do you even you don't no. even drink? So that would be No, that's that. never gonna happen. <laughs> that would be a good excuse for me to uh find the bathroom during the middle of the show and puke. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh geez, yeah. No, no, we don't need that. <clears throat> we don't need you pulling a um can we spoil uh can we spoil Endgame, Avengers Endgame? Yeah, we now? can spoil whatever we want. I don't care. Yeah, we don't. We don't need a, a Lebowski thing going on there. You'll be coming for. <laughs> no. Um, you know they actually have a pop for that. Do you know that? I believe it. You know those those um, popular. I say popular. I say the pop, Funko Pop. Those yeah. popular uh, Funko things. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know they got sued by Gibson. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Bringing it back around. I've been David. I've been and Jim. again. We've been the pregnant guitarist this week.